Welcome to 247 Real Talk, where we discuss mental health, social, and cultural issues. I'm your host, Julian Perry, and this is the first episode in the series, Black Lives Matter, Reloaded. Black Lives Matter, Reloaded. Today we're in the midst of a movement. A movement by a force, a melting pot of people who have come to the point where they're fed up, where they understand the true meaning of Black Lives Matter, where they understand the difference between all Lives Matter, and Black Lives Matter. This recent movement was birthed out of the death of George Floyd by the hands of a police officer. And like many, it pushed me to the point that I have to make a difference. I have to lend my voice to the movement, to the cause to people understanding the reality, to adding clarity and history and experiences to the conversation. I grew up in a somewhat privileged uh, time in a privileged environment I can't say that I went through the hardships that a lot of black people have faced and so in my early teens I was pretty naive kid because of my upbringing I remember going to downtown Manhattan for the first time by myself and marveling at the stores and the lights and the and the traffic and the bustling and hustling of the people and the tall, tall buildings. I remember that I've always heard that tourists are told, never look up because when you lower your head, you're going to be lost. Of course, that was a joke to me. So I decided to look up and twirl as I, as I looked at all the tall buildings that seemed to go way up into the skies and touch the heavens. And when I lowered my head, I was lost. I couldn't figure out which direction I came from or where to go. I panicked for a moment. And then logic set in. It was a simple solution. Ask the next person who came by, 
for directions to the subway. I looked down the block, and as a young lady approached me, and this was a young white lady, but at the time that was insignificant to me, I said, excuse me, ma'am, and that is as far as I got. She clutched her purse and started running away from me, looking back at me. I kind of looked from where she came to see if there was someone chasing her. I remember turning in a circle trying to figure out, am I in danger here? Should I be running too? It took me a long time after that experience to even understand, because I was so naive, what had just happened. The only good thing that came out of that day was that I was able to find my way back to the train because I simply followed the direction in which she ran. Moving on to the next encounter. Uh, I was still in my late teens. I went to work for a major bank in New York City. And I worked at their corporate headquarters. I was one of two black or brown-skinned people in the entire department. And part of my duties was to answer the phone when the executives were away. And uh, the young lady next to me, the other brown person, had the same duties. From my upbringing, I think I was a bit more polished in the way I answered the phone than she did. And one day when she answered the phone, there was a complaint from an executive, probably a senior vice president or someone. This happened on a Thursday, I remember vividly, because that Monday after, she was moved from the 17th floor to the 4B. Now 4B is level 4 in the basement on the ground and given a completely different task. And it was kind of made clear that she did not meet the standards of the executive or the executive was upset at how she answered the phone that day. The result was she was humiliated. Not because she said anything wrong or she said anything rude, but simply because she didn't sound right. In that same division, I remember being approached by a second vice president. One day I came into work and she said to me, you're about to lose your job here. You're about to be terminated. And I said, why? Said, well, you're not exactly meeting our standards. I couldn't understand what that meant until I was asked to go to the OTB, the off-track betting office down the block, to pick up her winnings from a horse race. This back and forth, the OTB became a normal part of my duties at that job, to keep my job. I couldn't speak out. I couldn't do anything else. I worked in fear, trying to make ends meet so I could live, trying to get an education while someone had their foot on my neck, running me as an errand boy, because no other reason that I was the only black guy left in that department.
Fast forward two years later, I've now spent almost three decades working for the same organization or company, whatever you want to call it. I've witnessed so many instances of racism. It became very clear to me that in the major organizations that are made up of bodies at the top where there's a large number of management, the majority are white people. I have no problem with that, except in this 30 years I realized that many black people never made it to that level not because they weren't capable, not because they didn't have the right credentials, but because every time they went to an interview against someone who had lighter skin or straighter hair, we lost. It's important to understand that I have many white friends, many Hispanic friends, many friends of every type and origin and, 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 and choice. I have no problem with that. What I speak of or where I speak from is not from a place of racism and prejudice, but for what my eyes have seen. And then we come back to today, to this time, where we see it in front of us every day and people still try to deny it. People don't understand the dynamic of what black and brown people have had to live with what they've had to do to make ends meet, what they've had to, to endure because they were denied opportunities not because of their talent or because of their, their abilities. They lost the race before it started because of the color of their skin. On June 10th of this year, 2020, I was watching NBC one evening in the news and they were covering a Black Lives Matter protest in Long Island. This is June 10th, 2020. This is after the George Floyd killing. This is in the midst of an uprising saying we matter. And while these people were protesting in favor of Black Lives Matter, another set, a crew of people came by who were opposing it. I'm not sure what the criteria was for opposing it, but I remember just looking at it and saying, this doesn't make sense, until I saw a man on TV yell across the road to the movement of Black Lives Matter, you expletive N. I won't repeat those words on my podcast, but you know what he said, and this is recorded on live TV for all of history. That had an impact. It had an impact because here we are in the middle of being in recognition to the world where not just New York City, not just Minneapolis, just not just California and, 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 and Atlanta and everywhere else, not just all those places within the United States that are rising up, but we're seeing this uprising around the world where people are saying worldwide, enough is enough. I am a spiritual person. I share my beliefs without prejudice. And according to my beliefs, we were all created in the likeness of our maker. So whenever we look at one color or another, we call it inadequate 
are not as good, then we're sending that message beyond us to those who created us, to the, the maker who created us. And here we are in 2020, and people exist that either hate us for a reason that I don't understand or live in such a bubble that they honestly, and I've met people like that who honestly don't understand anything about the black struggle and are so naive to what's going on because they've lived a life of privilege, sheltered, their friends and their environment predetermined. It's isolated from the reality of the rest of the world. I can remember in the 80s, I was living in Jamaica, Queens, New York. Back in those days, it was a popular sight to see in the summertime, kids playing at a fire hydrant, spraying water on each other, laughing, all playing together like a melting pot that New York City is. Splashing cars, offering car washes, things that were the joy of summer. I remember there was a fire hydrant about five feet or ten feet away from the my door. And I remember seeing two kids, they had to be about four or five years old, playing at the fire hydrant. One was a black kid and one was a light-colored kid, I want to say, because he was not white, but he was very fair. And as I'm watching them, the light-colored kid, and I, I, again, I'm not sure what his, his ethnicity was, but he was drinking water, and the black kid came over to get some from the fire hydrant. And this little kid turned to the black kid and said, Move, N. And he said it twice. And I stood there in shock and I said, I can't believe he just said that. So I walked over to the two little kids at the fire hydrant and I said to the one kid, what did you say to him? And he said, I told him to move, N. And I said, why would you say that to him? Who told you that he's an N? And he says, my daddy says he's an N. That's how deep this goes back into generations. And this was in the 80s, still not that far or long ago. Yet parents in the 80s were teaching their children this hatred. Hatred of a people who had done them nothing or done nothing wrong. So for this first episode of Black Lives Matter Reloaded, I wanted to make sure that I introduced my story, my experiences, so that as we continue this conversation, the context makes sense. Here we are in 2020, pushing for change, as I look to see who's responsible for being able to make the changes, I realize that all the power lies with those at the top, the decision makers. And black and brown people are not properly 
are numerically represented in that body who makes the change. So we don't have the voice in that body to make the change. And change usually happens at the top. So what do you do? Well, when you can't enact change at the top, then you need to push the top. In this case, change needs to start from the bottom and the people need to do it. I recently heard someone say, power concedes nothing without demand. As I look across the country and the world and see that this movement has momentum, as I see that it is not fading away, at least not to this point, I'm thinking to myself, soon we'll be able to say the chain has been broken. I think of biblical reference. I think of the Israelites that were bound in slavery in Egypt for four, over 400 years. They had seen injustice. They had been mistreated. They had been murdered. They had gone through a lot of things that are comparable to what black and brown people faced. God supernaturally brought them out of Egypt. And eventually they were headed to a promised land. In that promise he said to them, the enemies you see today, you will see no more. The things that were held against you for years, you will see no more. This is a new day. A new day of wholeness, of increase. You will no longer experience fear and insecurity and low self-esteem. You will no longer experience the addictions that you did before by conditioning. When we get to that place, we will know why. Why? Because the chain will have been broken. <laughs>